This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Communications to do it well, it is a science. If you are gonna make it, you've got to understand how people make decisions. It is not a rational process. <laughs> Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. You want to lead change, but it's hard to move people from the status quo, particularly around issues that feel distant. How do you get heard in a noisy world, but more importantly, change hearts and minds? to shape conversations, mobilize support, so others ultimately take action. What are the most powerful tools at your disposal? Today, we're going to talk to an expert on this topic, Liz Bonza, who has spent her career helping leaders and organizations sharpen their strategic communication to power up their advocacy. I've invited Liz because of her specialty in visual storytelling and communication which she harnesses to help not-for-profits and foundations to drive social change. To name a few examples, her work has highlighted the impact of resource extraction on indigenous communities, enabled UNESCO's Marine World Heritage Program to powerfully brand and market their world-class jewels of the ocean, and she has helped change public perception of people with intellectual disabilities for the Open Society Foundations. Our goal here is for you, regardless of the industry you work in, to take away practical strategies that will help your message stick and move others in the direction of your goal. Liz Bonza is Senior Program Director of Resource Media, a national nonprofit communications firm working exclusively in support of social change around health, equity, justice, and sustainability. A veteran of Resource Media's Seattle office since 1999, her practice areas have spanned all aspects of communication planning, traditional and online media strategy, opinion research, presentation skills, and of course, crisis communications. She is author of Seeing is Believing, a guide to visual storytelling best practices, and she manages the Visual Story Lab, 
a resource media website that shares cutting-edge approaches for issue-oriented visual storytelling. Before joining Resource Media, Liz worked with MWW Savit, where she worked on accounts including Starbucks and other corporate titans. Liz, no shortage of existential world challenges keeping you busy, so I am so glad that we could finally have you on. Welcome to 97% Effective. Thank you, Michael. I am a huge fan of not only you, but your podcast, and so I am honored to be here and Really looking forward to our conversation today. Well, the feeling is totally mutual. And Liz, you are deeply passionate about the environment and social causes, which took you to resource media and has kept you there for more than 20 years. So I would love it as we start if you could share one brief story where your communication work and visual storytelling work has made the most impact, one that you're most proud of. Absolutely. And my head goes to where most people's go to when you hear visuals and impact, right? You're thinking about what is that powerful image that changes how the world looks at an issue. And there are countless examples. And I think your listeners looking back on their, whether, whether it's high school or college history books, they know there's images like thinking about the Vietnam War, American involvement in the Vietnam War, where that single AP photographer photo of the girl running away from the village screaming with the napalm burn on her back completely changed the U.S. trajectory in Vietnam. So there's lots of examples like that in our work in communications where a visual can change perception of you or an issue. But what I'm most proud of, I think, is how we made a big pivot at resource media. And I will tell you, most people in PR that are of my generation came into communications because we were either bookworms as a child. We loved words. When I started in corporate PR, we had a three-hour writing test, Michael. And when I went to resource media, I also took a three-hour writing test. At no point did we look at final candidates and test their visual strategies. That change really happened when the communications landscape that we're all working in changed. The internet came along, social media came along, and all of a sudden we had this just instant data at our fingertips. And those of us who love words were like, whoa, my web developer keeps asking me less words on the page. I've gone from 500 words on my web page to now 250 and (laughs) They're always telling us more pictures, more pictures. And our social media managers are telling us, I need a video for that. I need pictures. This is where it gets most engagement. And we made a business shift to serve our clients better and to really harness the power of visuals and communications. And this is really relevant to your listeners because I'm not talking just about promoting a company brand promoting an issue or a product. I'm talking also about how you as an individual can up your leadership game with visual communication strategies. Liz, as you shared that, I'm just totally curious because a lot of people, like you said, came in as writers. Has there been a shift in the industry and you're now hiring more people who come from an 
art background or a visual background? Is that what's ascending in terms of who's getting hired, who's rising within the, the communications world? It, that is such an interesting question because I think that's sometimes, that was my first reaction with this shift was, ah, I don't have graphic design training. I don't have a photography background. I'm not a videographer by profession. And really what we tell people, like the clients we work with, our own coworkers, we're constantly reminding people that come into this world that there are just three things you need to be a good visual communicator. And it is not the technical background. It's three things. One is you've got to know communication strategy because what you've used this word strategy, 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 that's how you get promoted, right? And it is how we in sales and marketing, everything happens. And so we say, as long as you're clear on what your goal is for any communication, whether it's a meeting with your boss or it's a meeting with a supplier, doesn't matter what it is, how are you going to best reach them and through what vehicles? So really the, the fun, and we'll go into comm strategy, I think a little bit more as this conversation evolves. But the second thing is that in the world today, if you are going to make it, you've got to understand how people make decisions. Because, and I'd love to talk about this more. It is not a rational process. <laughs> it is, it is emotion based. So we've really in communications to do it well. It is a science. It is understanding how somebody's going to process whatever you put in front of them and how they're going to make a decision around that. So. I would encourage your listeners, really rethink how you present to others based on that. And the third thing is you've got to be able to tell a good story, 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 stories. And I, I think an example that, that might help is we all know National Geographic magazine, right? It's known for its visual storytelling. It's just the best, the best in the business. And I remember this interview with their editor years ago that really stuck with me, that he was not hiring photographers, so not the journalists, but the photographers to be on the front page of National Geographic with the big spreads for their best in the business technical abilities. He was looking for photographers who could tell a good story, whether through a single image or a photo essay. It was all about story. I love those three points. That sets the, the context of where visual communication comes in. And it just begs this question that should we be thinking about visual communication and telling story as more of a science or art? We might circle back to this question at the end. Is it more science or art? How do we think about that? I think about it more as science than art. Because I think when I will go in front of audiences, you know, at an industry conference, whatever it might be, talking about the science, and the, here I go again, I've given it away, the science of visual communications, people might say, oh, you know, I've got this beautiful image here, beautiful image there, or this person on my team takes beautiful shots, and I'll say, it's not the most beautiful picture because everybody interprets photos differently. It is really about understanding 
your audience's needs and being so that's really the strategic side and hitting the right emotions in a picture. So again, it's not so much technical and that's why you see, right? Like we have all spent a lot of time on YouTube, right? Where it doesn't have to be a polished video that goes viral. It can be just really hazy, but it tells a great story or it grabs you, whatever it may be. Well, we'll look at some examples on Resource Media's website. Lots of great examples there. That direct question that I have to ask here at the beginning, in a nutshell, why is visual communication really so powerful and important? Yeah, yeah. Well, I will share one specific reason. It's tied to one of your recommendations in your book, Get Promoted, about how people can advance their careers. And it's this guidance you had around the five key sources to build power. And one of them that stood out for me where I was like, this is this is the bridge to visual communications um, for your clients is you've got to have executive presence and communications skills. How you show up and are perceived matters a lot. And you you talk about that in terms of the visual is just not limited, right, to photos and videos, it can be connected to you as a person. You and I are both fans of the Heath brothers, Chip and Dan Heath. And in their book Moments, they talk about the power of props, right, that that can really bring an idea home. And so I think thinking about your executive presence, think about Am I always thinking about what is the visual element? And I I would love to talk a little bit about presentations because that everything you do is a presentation, right? It's not just the formal go to a conference, speak to a hundred people. But if you and I, you're my boss, we're in a meeting, I've got to present what I'm planning to do in the next month. I want to get a project approved by you. That's a presentation, even one-on-one. And so when I think about leadership and when we talk to our clients, we say, you know, you can get every I dotted, every T crossed on a project, the process you're going to take, all of that. But if you can't present it in a compelling fashion, the best ideas go on some dust pile (laughs) somewhere. And I'll tell you a little story. This was an epiphany for me about the idea that good presenters, naturally, we as humans think of them as leaders, right? Like they may not think of themselves as leaders, but you just instantly become that in somebody's mind. So Resource Media, when we started, our whole business model was get our clients in the press. You know, that's traditional PR is we got to get this company good press. We've got to get this nonprofit on the front page of the New York Times. Our focus was you change the world by changing the media narrative. And you can insert whatever you want for 2023 is, you know, their huge following on whatever social platform you want to pick. But my epiphany happened in a room. I want to say it was about 
40 or 50 people. I'm sitting next to this guy named Dennis Hayes. He's the head of the Bullet Foundation. Dennis Hayes is uh, credited with starting Earth Day in 1970, like the father of the environmental movement, some will say. And we're listening to this young guy. I want to say he was late 20s, something like that. He's presenting. He's from a small group. It's not well known. Incredible presenter. And just the way he shared his ideas, visuals, all that. Dennis Hayes turns to me and he goes, I'm going to find a way to fund this guy and I'm going to fund his organization. So the corporate example would be an investor. Here's your pitch. And they're like, we're going to put X million dollars to fund this startup, whatever it might be. Or it's your boss saying, I love your project idea. I'm going to promote you, whatever, or I'm going to give you this opportunity. And he turns to me and he says, I do not as a foundation, fund organizations, I fund leaders. Because if an executive cannot make a compelling presentation about what they do, why they do it, why it matters to you, they can't fulfill their mission. There's no way. And so when I think about how do we be 97% effective, it's around how you can get ahead, get promoted, get funded, whatever it might be. Um, you call it a hard truth, right? You, you call this one of the hard truths that performance and hard work are not enough. You have to have leadership potential. You have to look and act the part to make it. And I, I'm here to say, get your visual communications dialed in because that is that incremental boost you can give to your leadership qualities. Believability, memorability, we can talk about all of that. Mm. This is so true. I've seen so many executives who have all the smarts, all the chops, and all the facts, but they are not good at communicating that idea and connecting to people, persuading them. And I will just interject with two pieces here, right? I, I spent a long time as a sales trainer. And one of the things when we studied the most effective sales reps was, to your point, they brought a visual aid, a model ah. when presenting to clients. And as, as another, there was a transition in my career. We, we, you and I have talked about this before, too. I left corporate and I went and joined a user focused innovation firm in yeah. the, the realm of IDEO. And I remember we would go and present to clients around innovative breakthrough ideas. And the partners of the firm, when they got the PowerPoints we were presenting, they took some of my initial ones and replaced them with a single visual image. And that was such an uncomfortable period for me. <laughs> yeah. Single visual and no words or one word right. or one phrase on the screen really made a huge impact. And I think one of the points here that we'll be talking about was that these skills could be learned. Yeah. And applying both the, the art and the science. Mm -hmm. So you got me thinking a lot about that. Before diving into images, it's very tempting with all the social media and Instagram and ways you can very instantly take a, a photograph or a visual and put it out there. When you're working with clients, is there an initial first question that people should be asking themselves. Yeah, there is. There is. And I'm I'm thinking about your power map exercise that you 
do when you do executive coaching where you're looking at the family tree, right? In their in their company or in their industry. And we do something similar. And the idea is say, for us, it would be that a client comes to us and they say, we want to get this bill passed through Congress here in the US, or we have a crisis situation on our hands, help us navigate this. And we will say, and I'm going to break it up into parts, you know, we want them to clearly articulate their goal, what's the end result they want. So you can think about that in terms of if uh, I'm one of your clients, Michael, and I want to find a way to move up in my industry, get a promotion, or I want to move into a new job field, whatever it might be. And your power map, you're saying, who has the power to help you achieve that goal. And we ask that same question with a communication strategy. And what we do also is what, and this lines really neatly up with your business philosophy, is we say, what does that person, or if it's a group of people, care about? And the idea is this is a communications maxim, right? Meet people where they are. So it's not about how am I going to sell you on my idea and my goal? You know, nobody's out there to help you. I'm sorry. <laughs> They're all about like they've got this filter going through their mind of what's in it for me? Why should I care? And so we really want you to zoom in. What are your audience's needs? Show them what's in it for them. And I think that's the example you're bringing up with with IDEO, right, is what is the image that resonates with that audience that tells them, aha, I see how this can help me. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. So Liz, when we were preparing for this, we, we, we talked about many principles that are best practices. And for the sake of time, to, I, I asked you to kind of break this down and give us three keys, three of the most important keys when we're thinking about visual storytelling, yeah. visual communications. Good. I would be happy to. And they all, I, when I... I love boiling it down to three things. This is your public speaking coaching coming in, like make only three <laughs> points, Liz. Key number one, and these all are going to build on each other, is we humans, we are visual first and we are verbal second. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that. And it is this idea evolution has designed us as humans uh, for the visual. and. I think we are going to go down a rabbit hole of brain science for the next part of our conversation. So break it down for us, Liz. I, I will tell you what's going <laughs> we on are inside geeks your in this head regard. right now. Right. This is the science part. Yeah, break it down for us. So we're all listening, right? We're using the sense, our hearing sense, talking to one another. But two thirds of the electrical activity in your brain right now and in my brain right now is focused on visual activity. And neuroscientists, you know, they'll you'll hear them saying our eyes are our brain tissue, right? And that is because our neural tissue is connected to our retinas. And 
So you've got all these brain resources, most of your brain resources, okay, because it's the majority are connected to vision and visual learning. And that's why I always say, use that tool in your toolbox, because people's brains, they're, they're focused on that. And so this first principle, we're visual first and we're verbal second. What I mean by that is that if you hear me talking, I'm in front of a room, you see the PowerPoint behind me where I've got a visual in my hand or I am the visual, you're processing the visual information 60 times faster than the verbal information. And what matters to you as a leader in your organization is that whenever you present, your visual is setting the frame. And once you set a frame in people's minds of this is the issue, this is most important, whatever it might be, it's really hard to undo a mental frame. And this is this idea that first impressions matter and it's very hard to undo them. And that's why really carefully thinking about what is your visual frame is important. Should we keep going down this rabbit hole? Yeah? <laughs> yes. I mean, and, and this visual that you have put up, yeah. if we could bring that back up with the deforestation station yeah. in the Amazon, it's a very stark image for those who are listening to this of a desert with a single tree and a big 65% of the biomass will be reduced by 2060 here. So you can talk all you want, but the visual is showing this bleakness. Yeah. And anything you want to call out on this? I do. So, and I'll give you hope if you love words like I do. We'll get there. We'll give you hope at the end. But pictures are remembered more easily than words. And there is a name for this. Academics will call it the pictorial superiority effect. And when I said evolution designed us for the visual at the beginning, what I meant is that, you know, A, text was introduced pretty late in in the time scale of us humans being on the earth. Um, We, from an evolutionary standpoint, relied on our visual sense, visual cues to survive. So visual cues helped us survive. They helped us find food. They helped us determine, you know, quote unquote, the fitness of a mate, avoid danger. That's probably the most important thing. Figure out is that person approaching me, a friend or a foe. Think of the color red that we use on websites. You know, if you're on Facebook, your messenger alert, it's a a red, you've got a message if you are trying to shop for something, that buy here button might be red. Well, that's because we have been programmed visually since time forever that red is like an alert, alert. It could mean you're bleeding. It could mean it's a poisonous berry, whatever it might be. And I will tell you, I am one of every human being on earth who has been in a car I go down the highway, there's an accident, I'm going to look at it, right? I am supposed to say focus, not cause another accident, but I've got to look for it. And what's happening is you cannot override that part of your brain 
where the visual is there to sense what's happening in your environment, to sense if there is danger, I'm going to look at that accident on the side of the highway because my brain tells me you must see what is going on, observe it, and learn from it so that you can avoid a similar fate. And so we are hardwired to scan our environment visually for any potential threats, strategies for how to avoid it. But what the reason I'm showing you this picture and I've got text on it very specifically is because words still do have power. I'm not here to say, stop using words. I am here to say, use your words, whether it's a verbal presentation or you know, social media content presentation and PowerPoint, whatever, use those words judiciously, but it is important not to just throw out all your words. And there is a reason why we're going to go back into brain science. It's got a really abstract name, dual coding theory. And I'm going to, I'm going to break down dual, dual coding theory for you. And that is that the research out there shows picture, so a visual and a word combination, produces superior results in your communications to either pictures presented by themselves or words by themselves. And they're cemented deeper in your memory. So if you want your boss to remember your presentation, put those two together. And if you've got a PowerPoint, like have some nice descriptive text that kind of supports the visual or supports whatever it might be. And so dual coding theory, the idea is, I think the easiest thing for us to visualize is yellow sticky notes, right? Those classic 3M yellow sticky notes. A visual is going to be one sticky note in your brain. The words are going to be another sticky note. Those sticky notes are going to end up in different parts of your brain if they're the visual and the verbal. And so what you have done there is you've made two imprints in your brain instead of one. And that is what the researchers think leads to better memory and retention if you keep the two together. And I'll tell you, you Penn, you know, uh, you're from the East Coast, University of Pennsylvania, Wharton School of Business. They did some fantastic research on PowerPoint. You know, there's been these debates of like, is PowerPoint dead yet? <laughs> or now it's Google Slides. It's not dead because of this, not because of this particular research I'm going to cite, but because people know it has effect. So what happened here is um, in a business school, you know this from having gone to Stanford, you're learning how to pitch your ideas. And they took the same exact content and they had this speaker go into one room and they presented the content verbally only to the group. And then they had a similar group, took the same person and they had that person present it with visuals, with a PowerPoint. And these groups had been asked to rate the presentation, the ideas, and the visual verbal presentation, they found two thirds of audiences found that one to be more persuasive. So the pictures in that presentation made the information this person was presenting, made their argument more compelling. So 
finding those right pictures with your words can make you more persuasive uh, in your presentation. So again, going into uh, executive communications and leadership. The other point, the last point I'll make on this is that there was a, another study. So it's, it's, I'm talking about persuasion and now I'm going to talk about memorability and information retention. Cause right. You want people to remember what you said. Everybody wants people to remember what they said. So this other study had, again, they're doing this AB testing, right? That information, same information presented orally, people only remembered 10% of it 72 hours later, three days later, 10%. When they presented that same information and they added visuals, people remembered 65% of what they said three days later. So incredible, incredible. So that's principle number one. Yeah, so it's not what you say or even sometimes what you show, it's what they remember. So I love this idea, the pictorial superiority effect and dual coding. So it's those multiple sticky notes in people's head. Key number one, humans are visual first and verbal second. So what's, what's key number two? Key Liz? number two. All right, we'll bring out the brain scanners now. <laughs> so this is the idea that decisions are made in the brain's emotional region. Mm. And Michael, you talk, this is something I loved in your book that stuck with me where I went, I wished I'd known this in my 20s. My career trajectory could have been a little faster. <laughs> I wish I knew it too, which is why I wrote the book. <laughs> Never too late. Never too late. Exactly. You, these can be learned. These can be learned. But so this is what stuck with me from your book was this idea that there are the difference between finding a sponsor versus finding a mentor. And you really distinguish these things well that a mentor is somebody who talks with you. So say you're my mentor, I ask you to go to coffee, give me career advice. A sponsor talks about you. That's a mentor on steroids, right? They're not just talking with you, but they are advocating for you in rooms that you are not in. And this idea you've talked about is that you're making little asks of them. And each time they help you on something, psychologically, right, they've been investing time in you. When that investment starts to add up, the amount of time they spend helping you, they want their investment to pay off. That's the same as when you invest $5 or $5 million. Your stakes have gotten higher because you've invested more. And that's the emotional part of our brain at work. This is not, I would say, a rational observation. I'm looking very objectively at who deserves a promotion. I'm thinking about who have I invested the most time in among my emerging leaders on staff, and I'm going to stick with my investment, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the long game in the stock market here of people. And uh, I think this goes back to your coaching premise that hard work and performance is not the only thing that gets you promoted, but there are other things at play, and emotion-based decision-making among the people you're trying to get noticed by 
is also is also at work. So really honing those personal, interpersonal, <laughs> political, political skills is something you and I really see, I think, eye to eye on, on that importance. And I'll tie it to visuals, right? This is the topic of what we're we're discussing. And this does relate to uh, the power of integrating visuals in your communications and how much value there is in, in this in terms of fine-tuning your political skills. And I'll go to, we've got a brain scanner. We're thinking about a brain scanner. And the neuroscience on emotion-based decision-making is just Whoa, don't go down this internet rabbit hole unless you have hours of time here. But um, a little bit about our brains. They're all the same. We are primates, right? Like like humans and chimps. And uh, But all animals have what's called um, the reptilian brain. There's no, there's no fancy name for this. It's reptilian because all the way down to the reptile we have one part of our brain. It is the oldest part of the human brain. So it's been, you know, the most developed over time. And all it does, it's our gatekeeper for all information coming in. And it just looks for three things, food, sex, and danger, because <laughs> those are the three keys to human survival. And um, I'll tell you, when we look at a scene, we're typically seeing, is it safe? Or is it unsafe? That's when you hear about fight or flight, right? That's the reptilian brain at work. If things look safe, information will move forward through our brain. And the next stop for any piece of information you present your boss is in their limbic brain. And that is the emotional region, right? And you hear about the amygdala as well. This part of the brain feels joy, it feels sadness, it feels excitement. We share that with other mammals. So when you see um, a wolf mama licking its uh, little baby, you see an elephant mourning the dead, you see a dog playing, um, we're all, we've all got that brain. But where we start to differentiate along with uh, chimps, humans, is that if we pass the emotional sniff test, it gets an emotion attached to it, that, that um, decision you've made, then it goes into the neocortex. And that's where your rational thinking happens. But the reality is, if my neighbor goes out, they have a car, they might have two cars, but then all of a sudden on the curb outside my house, I look at my window and I go, my neighbor just bought a, a red sports car. He doesn't need that. Well, he has made an emotional decision to buy that car, and there may be a rationalization afterwards, but that decision was made emotionally. And we just learned about this probably over a decade ago. It has changed the world of communications. It should be changing the world of business as well. And it is that brain scanners, when they test people in these studies and they lob questions at them. You can be in a brain scanner and see a video above your head and you're asked to answer questions. The part of the brain that lights up when you answer 
with your decision is the emotional region of the brain. Your neocortex is dead, just dead. There's no blood flowing through there. So I think this idea of using visuals to tap into emotions is really key. So foundation to all communications is everything's an emotional reaction. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. So we are totally emotional beasts, Liz. That's, <laughs> we are. that's what I'm hearing that. And as a communicator, a marketer, someone who's trying to achieve a certain goal is to be thinking and aware of that. Yeah. This brings up two things. One is I want to have a separate podcast where I bring you and a former guest, Don Moore, oh, who's down at Berkeley yeah. on, because he's out to help us make better decisions because many of our decisions are influenced by emotion that cause poor decision quality. Mm. And another thought that came, this does seem then, if you're tapping into a lot of this, to be somewhat manipulative. Mm -hmm. It is. I had one guest who talked about this as positive manipulation. When you come across this of we're being very manipulative or clients say this is manipulating, do you have a particular reaction? I love positive manipulation. (laughs) That (laughs) is good. I say it is strategic, my friends. Yeah, it's it's not manipulation. It's being strategic and working to meet your audience's needs. So key number three, Liz. Yeah, that is a great segue because if we know decisions are made in the emotional region of our brain, rationalized afterwards, then how do you stoke the right emotion with the right picture, right? You're being strategic. And I can think about in my world, like one of the issues I'm working on is a global uh, marine debris pollution problem. Most of the pictures circulating out there are um, a turtle with plastic wrapped around its neck, a whale entangled in ghost gear, which is abandoned fishing gear. And that stokes an emotional reaction. When people see that, they go, this is wrong. I'm angry. What can I do about that? And anytime those pictures circulate the internet, when there's a big find or a whale washed ashore, you will see groups working to eliminate marine debris flood of traffic into their websites. So Those types of images are examples of how you stoke the right emotion to get somebody involved in a cause. Um, My principle is pretty simple. It's that you're making people feel, not think, with your pictures. But this third principle is you figure out what do you need them to feel, to do, or take action. And I will say... Well, you and I, we should just kind of teleport ourselves to New York City right now. (laughs) Go to Madison (laughs) Avenue. It's the heart of the advertising industry. Madison Avenue is full of good ideas. And there is so much money riding on, on advertising being successful, right? Like these are huge budgets we're talking about. You have got to get it right if you've got a mass advertising campaign. And what ad execs have so very right is that 
they are not thinking about how do I tell my audience, my consumer audience, all the different details about this product, how it works, etc. They are focused on what is the emotional payoff if you buy my product. So let's take Hugo Boss, right? They, they make cologne. They're not in their advertisements telling the man, here's what your cologne smells like. Here's how much to spray on you. Here's how long this scent will last before it fades away. They are showing an image of you wear this cologne. The ladies are going to be all over you because that is the only reason why a man is going to spray cologne on them is they want to have somebody attracted to them. So I think about how anybody in their visual communications can use that principle is that you're thinking about what does my audience care about? What do they want? What do I need to show them to stoke that emotion? So I think, okay, so I want to, I want to actually turn the table on you if you're ready for this. Sure. I remember your illustrious career involved marketing in China, China market, big market for Invisalign. And it's kind of an invisible product by, by the name. Talk about what, what visuals, like is the visual, what's the emotional payoff for people if they wear Invisalign? Did you put that principle to work? Yeah, wow. to keep this short, because I, I, I marketed that product in North America, all throughout Europe, and then over in China. Yeah. Honing on your word here around what is the emotional payoff what do you get from this product? Well, you, and a smile in a lot of our research at the time and still fairly universal, you know, a good smile exudes confidence, your inner self leads to many things, whether that is success or attracting the right person. And so very important to communicate that emotional payoff mm -hmm. of what you get, not from series of plastic and the treatment, but what do you get from a better smile? And this would take us in different directions around how cultures may perceive that. But there was this, and now I'll go into you know, specifics there, in, in that culture of chijir, which was to kind of release your inner confidence, mm, um, a nice. specific word. But it was very universal in terms of people want to look good and feel good about themselves, and that makes them more confident. Yeah. And that was the emotional payoff. I think that's a great example of how you can apply it in marketing. And I think about, you know, the, the all-time classic is marketers will use the example of the brownie box, right? Like calories, ingredients, they are buried on the side. Like when I walk down that grocery store aisle, I'm not seeing it only takes three ingredients and how long it takes. All I see is what's coming out of the oven. So... There you go. Liz, you've shared three important keys to visual communication. First, we're visual first. Second, decisions are made in the brain's emotional region. And third, stoke the right emotions with the right pictures. 
Three keys to cutting through the noise and dial in your communication to accomplish your goals. Let's wrap here and come back next week because there's some important follow-up questions that tap into your wisdom that are begging to be asked. Mistakes that befall people, no-go areas, and how to test your ideas. Thanks, Liz. All right. Liz, how do people reach you, resource media? There, well, I have discovered on the internet there are two resource medias. We are the .org, not the .com. <laughs> resource media, we're a nonprofit communications firm. And as you said in your very kind introduction, we also have Visual Story Lab. And there is lots of research there on using images. We've got lots of tips there. Liz, thank you so much today for joining me. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Michael. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwenderoth.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.